A reading from the book of Job. Job spoke, saying, Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, when shall I arise? Then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Verbum Domini. reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, if I preach the gospel, this is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation 
has been imposed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. If I do so willingly, I have a recompense, but if unwillingly, then I have been entrusted with his stewardship. But then, what then is my recompense? That when I preach, I offer the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak I became weak, to win over the weak. I have become all things to all, to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, so that I too may have a share in it. Verbum Domini. Dominus vobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelii secundum Marcum. On leaving the synagogue, Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. They immediately told him about her. He approached, grasped her hand, and helped her. Then the fever left her, 
and she waited on them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill and possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons, not permitting them to speak because they knew him. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. Simon and those who were with him pursued him, and on finding him said, everyone is looking for you. He told them, let us go on to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. For this purpose I have come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. Verbum Domini. At times of great trial and distress, we might wonder where the Lord is. Has he abandoned me? Has he abandoned us? We start to ask the greater questions of human existence. We begin to reflect about when life is. What does life mean? What is life all about? Why is there evil in this world? Suffering brings us head to head with the fallen human condition. And these are questions that the book of Job asks and reflects on. The question that Job attempts to tackle and never really gets a complete answer is why does the just person suffer? Why do the innocent suffer? That's a very good question. Looking at this problem through the lens of the God-man, Jesus, it may become better focused. Christ brings definitive meaning and clarity to the entirety of scripture. When we look at the Old Testament through the lens of Christ and his definitive revelation, everything begins to make clear sense. Jesus Christ answers Job's questions. Not simply by dialoguing, but by in the manner of his life in the manner of Jesus' life. That is, he is the innocent one. He's the perfect one, perfectly innocent, undefiled. The book of Job is completed, and Job's questions and his conundrum are answered in the life, 
passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what does this say about our lives, about our present human condition? Is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the lens from which we view our existence? Everything in our existence, our life, our own troubles, our own pain, our own joys, is it the, the lens for which we view life? For most people, one of the most worst experiences in life is to feel alone. St. Teresa of Calcutta said that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. She says loneliness is probably the most terrible poverty in the world. It's the feeling that I am unloved and unwanted. In other words, abandoned. This is a feeling, a temptation, that we are unloved, that we are unwanted, that we are abandoned. Mother Teresa says, we can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is what? Love, love incarnate, Jesus. The only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. Injecting love, if you will, in a sense, anything in life, posting that cross right there, the cross of Jesus. Loneliness may be worse than any physical pain, to feel isolated and alone, as if I am the only one. Nobody else knows what I am going through but me. Isn't this a temptation? Kind of a litany that goes through every one of our lives, every one of our minds and our hearts at one time or another. Nobody knows what I am going through. It's a horrible and crippling experience for most people. Especially as you get older, perhaps, those, those viewers that are listening, those listeners that might feel alone, those in nursing homes and hospitals, those that don't have much family left, feeling like you're alone. It could be a crippling for most people. When they come to know, that is when we come to know that we are not alone, a light bulb goes off. And this is a gradual experience. This is the gift of faith. And that weight that we experience, that you might experience, is not so intense. Physical suffering may still exist, but that weight that we carry, 
might not be as burdensome. Again, it doesn't mean that suffering disappears, but suffering is meant to be looked through by a different optic, a different lens. And it's given different meaning, different perspective viewed through the life, resurrection, and ascension, and even of the descending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and each of us. Our Lord was not born to take away suffering, but to transform it, and even to assume it to himself. And you might even say to embrace it. He was laid on a cross. He was nailed to a cross, pinned to a cross. His suffering is our suffering. And in the Lord Jesus, he embraced the personal suffering of every man, woman, and child that ever existed. If that's not consoling, I don't know what is. That our God knows suffering. And he didn't choose to escape it, but he dove right into it. He dove right into this, the, one of the greatest existential questions of human existence. He dives right into it and embraces it to himself. Job is an example of acceptance, an example of bearing wrongs patiently, which is a corporal work of mercy. Acceptance of trials and acceptance of suffering does not translate into disengaging with reality. Sometimes people just say, I'll just offer it up and just don't pretend that it's not there. That's not the Christian life, pretending that suffering doesn't exist. Offering it up means offering it up with God's help and not simply by yourself. Acceptance means to face reality face to face with God's help and with the help of others. It's one of the greatest things that we can do as Christians is to pretend or rather to not pretend that suffering doesn't exist, but to enter into suffering with those who suffer with the Lord to help them to carry that cross, to make it a little bit lighter. Mother Angelica said, when you accept God's will in every aspect of your life, you will find God providing you with strength, courage, and dignity that resounds to the heavens. It resounds to the heavens because it doesn't have to go far. Heaven, you see, is suddenly in your heart, not far away. Job was a glimmer of the foreshadowing to come in the person of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Our Lord teaches us patience. He 
He teaches us acceptance. And he teaches us innocence, what it means to be innocent. Just look at the crucifix. That's worth praying upon every single day, upon looking at the crucifix and asking ourselves, is that man guilty on the cross? No. That man is not guilty. That man is perfectly innocent. Perfectly innocent one. Yet, he willingly chose to accept our burdens, our guilt, our shame, our sin, and he pinned it to the cross like being a lamb led to the slaughter. There are real questions and real answers to human suffering. Divine revelation and the church has great answers. The saints propose to us great answers. But perhaps even greater than these answers can be the personal sympathy and empathy shown toward people who suffer. Again, entering into their realities. Just not telling them simply, offer it up, and then dropping them. But those of us who are Christians, we, we enter into the reality of those who are suffering with the Lord, with his love, and only the love that he can give. In those moments of suffering, quoting theological maxims most likely won't land very well with most people. Sometimes it's the worst thing that we can do. It's just quoting things that, will make, that we think will make them feel better. Our best response is to patiently enter into that present reality with those who are suffering. And in most cases, what does that mean? Just being there. Just being present. That's where God meets us right there in the present moment, in that reality. Job's complaints show us that there can be a holy complaining to the Lord. Holy complaining. God even approves Job's complaints. Read the Psalms. Read the book of Job. Complaining isn't always sinful. Isn't always evil. We can actually complain in a holy manner when our heart is connected to God. And literally united to him on that cross. When our heart is pursuing the God who is actively pursuing each of us. Job shows us the primacy of prayer. That communication with God who does care and does not abandon us. Again, God is a father who keeps his promises. He is a father that does not abandon. 
And as the church approaches this holy season of Lent, just in a few weeks, maybe it might be good to ponder what concrete ways that we can make prayer the center of our everyday life. Prayer shouldn't be an afterthought. I have to get in my prayers today. Really? Do you have to just get in your prayers today? Prayer shouldn't be just something that you just fit into your day, but prayer should be the very center and reality of your day. Everything that centers around your day. Prayer is making room for God to be the center of our day. In these next few weeks, as we get closer to Lent, maybe think about what kind of resolutions that you need to make, that I need to make, to make prayer the absolute center of our life. Not just to fit it in, but to give God everything first. First and foremost, first thing that you do when you get up in the morning is give thanks to God. And all throughout the day, last thing that you do when you go to bed, to say a simple act of contrition. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Before you go to bed. And if you're married, to do that together as married couples. It's a beautiful thing when couples pray together before they go to bed or as they get up in the morning to give thanks to God. That is what really unites is prayer. And what is that going to look like? It's going to look different for each one of us. It might look the same for the, those of us who are in consecrated life. But how might that translate into everyday life? Prayer makes a difference when we just don't make it an afterthought, but make it the very center of our life.